Well, thank you again for the uh, opportunity to come and minister to all of you. Um, this evening, we're going to start our time together with kind of a, an introductory message, um, more or less setting up, uh, setting the stage for, for everything else that we're going to be talking about over the next few days. Um, if you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to be jumping around quite a bit uh, this evening, and we do have all the verses and passages up on screen, so that's a little bit small, uh, but uh, you guys can follow along there. Uh, but we're going to start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, I'm not sure what the custom here is at Lighthouse, but uh, if you wouldn't mind humoring me, if you're able to, please stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. I start reading from verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's God's holy and inerrant word. Please be seated. Uh, earlier this summer, I had the opportunity to officiate a wedding for an old college buddy of mine. Uh, nowadays, we don't talk nearly as much as we used to, uh, but he and I were always trying to catch up whenever he's visiting the Bay Area. And so when he asked me to preside over his wedding ceremony, I was more than happy to oblige. Uh, it was a, a destination wedding, um, uh, a place called Whitby Island off the coast of Washington, really random. Everyone had to fly in to be there. And I have to say, it was absolutely wild seeing a bunch of people I had not talked to or seen in over two decades. As you might expect, everyone looked a little bit different, especially when compared to our college days. Uh, some of us were a little bit rounder, and others of us were a little bit grayer. Uh, almost everyone at this wedding commented on my hair because I've had a buzz cut for over half my life, and they hadn't seen me since I decided growing out. In fact, I already received three comments from brothers here uh, about my hair. So, um, But it wasn't just me. One way or another, for better or for worse, every single one of us had changed. I'm guessing that you've probably experienced something similar, uh, maybe at a high school reunion or a family get-together, any setting where you might be interacting with someone that you haven't seen for a while. For instance, um, I haven't really hung out with Brian since 2017. Uh, again, he invited me to speak at a practice retreat, and he didn't have any kids back then, but now, of course, he has two little ones at home. And I can tell it's changed him. And what I mean by that is uh, he's so much wiser. Right? At least he looks so much wiser than he did before. My point being, all of us are constantly changing. And while the changes we undergo might seem subtle at times, they're still very much taking place, whether we're aware of them or not. 
Now, when we apply this principle of change to the Christian life, what we're talking about is something that most pastors and theologians have traditionally referred to as spiritual formation. Uh, Pastor Joe Carter, he writes for the Gospel Coalition, he defines spiritual formation as the process by which Christians in union with Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit become conformed both internally and externally to the character of Christ for the purpose of communion with God. Or simply put, spiritual formation is how followers of Jesus grow to become more and more like their Savior. You can maybe jot that definition down if you'd like, because we're going to be returning to it again and again. I will admit that I was kind of hesitant about using the term spiritual formation because there are certain segments in the church where spiritual formation is taught in ways that resembles Eastern mysticism and New Age spirituality more than they do the teachings of Scripture. So if you prefer terms like Christian transformation or biblical spirituality, or maybe even more basically sanctification can also be used to convey the same idea. Uh, For my part, I'm going to be kind of using all of those terms interchangeably throughout the next couple of days. But regardless of what you want to call it, they all essentially describe the same basic thing. The process of change, whereby we gradually grow to become more Christ-like in our thoughts, our character, and our day-to-day behavior. Spiritual formation is important because the essence of Christ's call upon our lives is not simply that we would believe in him, but that we would follow him. Let me say that again. The essence of Christ's call upon our lives is not simply that we would believe in him, but that we would follow him. Have you guys ever taken the time to notice the specific way that Jesus would call people in the Gospels? Time and time again, he would tell them, follow me. I have a bunch of verses up on the screen. I'm not going to read through them all, but maybe the first two. Okay, Matthew 8.22, Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Or Mark 1.17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So over and over again, Jesus made it clear that he was looking for people who were going to follow him. In New Testament terms, a follower was also known as a disciple. Those two words, follower and disciple, were virtually synonymous in the ancient world. And it's not as if Jesus was the one to invent discipleship. It was actually quite customary at this time for teachers and rabbis to have disciples who quite literally followed them around wherever they went. Being a disciple not only meant learning from the teacher, it also meant living with the teacher and traveling with the teacher and constantly watching and observing the teacher so that one could eventually come to resemble and imitate that teacher. More simply put, discipleship meant having the entirety of your life be oriented around whatever person you had chosen to follow. One scholar describes it this way. A disciple was expected to leave his family and job to join the rabbi in his austere lifestyle. Disciples would live with the rabbi 24 hours a day, walking from town to town, teaching, working, eating, and studying. They would discuss the scriptures and apply them to their lives. The disciples were also supposed to be the rabbi's servants, submitting to his authority while they served his needs. Indeed, the word rabbi means my master and was a term of great respect. A disciple's goal was to gain the rabbi's knowledge, but even 
even more importantly, to become like him in character. So fundamentally speaking, discipleship was a lifestyle. It wasn't just something limited to a few hours on a Sunday morning or even a couple of days at a men's retreat. It was a 24-7 endeavor that pervaded every single aspect of an individual's life. Now, to give you an idea of just how central the theme of discipleship was to the call of Christ, I want you to consider how often the word disciple appears in the New Testament. Nearly 270 different times. It is by far the most commonly used designation for believers in Scripture. And yet, most of us today refer to ourselves as what? As Christians, right? Now, what's interesting is that the word Christian only appears appears three times in scripture and is never once used by Jesus himself. In fact, many scholars and historians agree that it was actually unbelievers who first coined the term Christian, mostly in a pejorative way to refer to followers of Jesus. Members of the early church seem to much prefer using words like saints and brothers and most commonly disciples when talking about themselves. And while there's certainly nothing wrong with the word Christian, it's a precious word, it's a word that we should continue to use, it is also vital that we think of ourselves as disciples as well. If not, it starts to become really easy to assume that all we need to do to answer the call of Christ on our lives is to simply mentally subscribe to the teachings of Jesus or to give intellectual assent to a set of doctrines or propositions about Jesus rather than adopting the character and the practices that enable us to live like Jesus. In other words, while the term Christian conveys what you believe about Christ, the term disciple conveys what it means to follow and become like Christ. Again, Jesus is not merely looking for converts or people who will just simply believe in him. He's looking more specifically for disciples. That is, those who will actively work to pattern their whole lives after the model he's given us in his word. Another reason why I think spiritual formation is such a needed topic in the church today is because we are all being formed into something by something. Okay, let me say that again. We are all, all of us, are being formed into something by something. Or again, to use a language that we've just been talking about, all of us are being discipled. Every single one of us here, whether we realize it or not, are being shaped into a particular type of person. And there are myriad of different influences that can either help us to become more like Jesus or less like him. Though we may not think of them as such, some common disciplers today include things like Netflix and YouTube and Instagram. And as a pastor, I know I cannot possibly compete with that. I wholeheartedly believe in the sufficiency of scripture. But the fact of the matter is that I, along with every other pastor out there, we only get to address our flocks for 30 to 50 minutes, maybe once or twice a week. In the meantime, most research indicates the average person spends somewhere between four to five hours on their phones every single day. 
And when you consider all the other hours we spend looking at screens, like TV, for instance, that number is very likely quite a bit more. For many of us, our smartphones are the first thing we look at in the morning. It's the last thing we check before going to bed. And again, we have not even begun to consider all the time we spend in between scrolling through our phones and gaming on our phones and watching videos on our phones and listening to podcasts on our phones and everything else. The reality is we live in a digital age, and so eliminating, uh, eliminating online distractions is perhaps one of the most difficult realities of navigating life to date. And while I do hope that we can maybe take some time over the next couple of days to at least touch on how our use of technology in particular is changing us to become certain types of people, for better or for worse, the main point I'm trying to convey right now is that all of us are being shaped into something by something. Again, it might be our phones or social media. It could also be our environment, our relationships, our habits. Whatever it is that we spend the majority of our time investing in and thinking about, whatever rhythms and routines we've built into our day-to-day -day lives, it is those things that are most likely to disciple us. And of course, some of those things are positive disciplers, but many of them are not. So my question to you this evening, as we begin the retreat, is who or what is influencing you? And perhaps even more importantly, who are you becoming as a result? How are you changing? Are you growing to look more and more like your savior in terms of your character, your conduct, your speech, your thought life, your desires, your ambitions? Or is it actually the case that you've begun to be conformed to the pattern of this world? All of us, when we were younger, we would track our height, right? And like, if you were like me, maybe your, your parents would draw little lines on a wall inside your bedroom just to see how much you had grown up. As kids, we were eager to keep track of such things. And likewise, as adults, we still probably keep track of things, although now, instead of our height, it's probably things like our savings account, right? Or our 401k or our investment portfolios. We monitor those things because we want to make sure that they're growing. But again, when was the last time you checked to see how much you were growing spiritually? When was the last time you tracked and measured your progress in the gospel? Perhaps I can ask an even more specific question. Are you more like Jesus today than you were two or three years ago? What would your closest friends say? What would your family members say? Your, your wife, your kids, your parents? Would they describe you as someone who is growing to resemble your Savior more and more? Or would they say that, no, he's been more or less the same? Have you increased in greater maturity, greater awareness of your own sin, and greater appreciation for Christ? Or has spiritual formation stalled in your life? Have the things of God begun to look dull? Has your love for Christ grown cold? Have your passions and convictions and desires to follow the Lord diminished? Again, the reality is none of us are static beings. Either we are moving toward Jesus, drawing closer and closer to him, or we're drifting farther away, but no one stays where they are because everyone is changing all the time. So again, the question is, how are you changing? And in which direction have you been heading toward? So far, we've talked about the what of spiritual formation, defining it, again, as a process by which we become more and more like Jesus. 
But throughout the rest of our time together, not just tonight, but really over the next couple of days, I want us to consider the how of spiritual formation. In other words, how are disciples of Jesus called to change and grow spiritually? And my answer in a nutshell is to simply behold Christ. Behold Christ. That's going to kind of serve as a thesis statement, if you will, for the rest of our time together. If we want to become like Christ, we must be intentional about beholding him day after day. Or to put it even more succinctly, we become what we behold. It was the 18th century English poet, William Blake, who's commonly credited for coming up with that expression, we become what we behold. But it's actually the Apostle Paul who first applied the concept of becoming what we behold to our spiritual formation. Again, in the passage we open up our time with, let me read it for us again. Paul says this in verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Earlier in this passage, Paul had referred to Moses. And specifically, he alluded to a passage from the book of Exodus where Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights meeting with God on top of Mount Sinai. And when Moses came down from the mountain, the Bible says that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. In other words, spending time with God, it literally caused Moses' face to light up. There was this visible change in his physical countenance as a result of his encounter with God. So much so, the people of Israel are described in the book of Exodus as being afraid to come near Moses. So what did Moses do? He put a, a veil over his face. Well, here in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says that by the grace of God, we all, so not just some of us, and not just one individual among us, as was the case with Moses, but literally everyone who is in Christ is able to behold the glory of the Lord with an unveiled face. And as we do, we are being transformed, the Bible says, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, just as Moses found himself changing as a result of beholding the glory of God, we as believers can also change to become more light in Christ, especially as we learn how to ponder more deeply and look more intently upon who Jesus is. Again, we become what we behold. This is an idea reiterated time and time again in Scripture. Take a look at Colossians 3. You should know it well by now. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? Because inevitably we all become what we behold. So if you're constantly setting your minds on the things of the world, then you will inevitably become worldly. On the other hand, if we are diligent to set our minds upon the things of Christ, we will become like Christ. Similarly, Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. 
So if the what of spiritual formation is the process by which we become more and more like Jesus, then the how of spiritual formation is daily beholding Christ. So we might find ourselves gradually transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. John Owen, the 17th century English Puritan, once wrote this, quote, It is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified and built up in this world. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grow stronger and stronger. So if we desire strong faith and powerful love, we must seek them diligently, beholding the glory of Christ by faith. On Christ's glory, I fix all my thoughts and desires, and the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world, end quote. In short, we are transformed by the things we look at and think about and contemplate. We are whatever we spend our time beholding. So again, this is what we're going to be spending the remainder of our time at the retreat expanding on. Retreats are great, right? Because they give us an opportunity to reset and kind of recalibrate. And so this is how I'm going to kind of organize our four sessions together. Again, tonight we've been talking about redirecting our gaze so we can behold Christ more. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be talking about reordering our loves so that Jesus remains the primary focal point of everything that we do. And then tomorrow evening we're going to talk about restructuring our habits and considering how the power of rhythms and routines can provide the practical means we need to behold Christ in day-to-day life. And then on Saturday, we're going to wrap up our time together with a talk on renewing our vigilance, which I'm hoping is going to serve as kind of a battle cry that will help to motivate us uh, to take all that we've been talking about at the retreat and to see these principles uh, fleshed out more practically in our lives. So that's kind of a little roadmap of where we're heading. Uh, But for now, let's just consider one final time this idea of we become what we behold. If that's true, if becoming is a result of us beholding, then it is really important that we pay attention to what we behold every single day. It is vital that we analyze and take personal inventory of what we allow our minds and our hearts to be exposed to. So I want to encourage you this evening to start doing a spiritual audit of your life. What are you beholding? And how is it helping or maybe even getting in the way of you becoming the kind of disciple Jesus desires you to be? Are you gazing upon Christ? Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? Or is the majority of your time and your attention being spent on things that are more characteristic of this world? For example, what do you typically think about during the course of the day? How much time in the week would you say you devote to contemplating and adoring Christ? Do your daily routines enable you to ponder the things of the Lord? And speaking even more personally, would you say that you are currently at a place that you want to be in terms of your spiritual formation? What are the primary influences that are shaping and molding you? Who are you following? What is discipling you? Again, what are you beholding? And how is it changing you for better or for worse?
If you guys have those questions in mind, I invite you guys to bow your heads. And let's come before the Lord and invite Him to examine our hearts and to reveal what's going on within that we would be in a spirit-led introspection uh, this weekend, that as he exposes and brings to light things that we need to repent of and things that we need to prune, that he would also give us the courage and the fullness to do so. So I'm just going to give you guys a little bit of time to pray on your own, and then I'll close us. Amen.